Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to worship this morning. We're glad that you're here worshiping with us and would love to have a record of your attendance, whether you are a longtime member, a first-time visitor, or someone that worships here on a regular basis. Grab that pew pad at the end of the aisle. Pass that to the neighbors who are seated with you. A few things I want to point out to you. If you've had a chance to look at the bulletin, you've probably already seen this. But next Sunday at 5 p.m., we are having our annual Thanksgiving dinner, church dinner. So we hope that you'll participate with that. We'd love to have a hint, maybe, of perhaps what you're thinking about bringing. Uh, So you could talk to Laurie about that. Uh, We do know that there will be Etta's famous scrambled, or not scrambled eggs, uh, deviled eggs and potatoes. We know that she has said, yeah, mashed potatoes. So those are two things we know we will have. If anybody else wants to make those, you have to talk to Etta about that. Uh, but we do hope that you will plan to be there with us. Um, also, in the next couple of weeks, we would really appreciate you uh, making donations to the Christmas Basket Fund. Um, we have talked about this in the past. It's easier for us to collect finances. We make one purchase through uh, Kroger. They give us an amazing deal on their canned foods and things like that. We'll be packing the baskets on December 16th uh, during the day and then delivering those on December 17th. If you have any questions about that, you can talk to Jennifer about that as well. And then this year on Monday, December 19th, uh, we hosted this several years ago uh, before I came, but there's going to be a Lifeline screening, uh, which has these four different screenings available for $150, essentially, uh, for all four of these things. It's my understanding that we will have a few uh, free screenings available because we are hosting. So if that's something that is uh, important to you, let us know in the church office. But also please pass that information to friends of yours uh, who may be interested in having that medical testing done. That's going to be all day here at the church uh, on Monday, December 19th. Again, we are thrilled that you're here worshiping with us. Let's now prepare to worship the living God.
sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him victory. The Lord has made known his victory. He has revealed his vindication in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel, and the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With the trumpets and the sounds of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, that the world and those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills sing together and for joy and presence of the Lord. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Come, let us worship the triune God. Please stand and let's prepare to sing hymn number 353. My hope is built on nothing less.
Jesus said, The peace I bring is a gift the world cannot give. May this gift of peace from our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. Merciful God, we come before you this day and those who are often afraid to confess all the many ways in which we have disappointed and betrayed you. You have given us continual opportunities to serve and love others, but we have withdrawn into lives of selflessness and greed. We have turned our backs on others in need. We have denied the gifts you have given us. Where can we turn now that we have run from you? Your voice calls to us to come home, to come to you unafraid, to receive forgiveness and healing. Open our hearts this day to receive the magnificent blessings. Help us understand the many ways in which you love us and help us share that love with all those whom we meet. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, hear this assurance of pardon that comes to us from the Old Testament. See, I have seen set your sins as far as the east is from the west, that your sins may be made of scarlet, I have washed them white as snow. The good news in Christ's coming is that He has separated us from our sin, that our old life is gone, and a new life remain. So know that you have been forgiven, and be at peace. And pray also for me, a sinner. Amen. be seated. Our Old Testament lesson this morning um, comes from the book of Malachi, verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the teaching of my servant Moses, the statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. The word of our Lord.
may be seated. And at this time, I invite the children forward for a children's sermon. <clears throat> okay. Have you all ever been to a beach? Yes. Okay. What's what's it like when you go to the beach? It's hot. Not like today, right? No. What else is it like? It's wet. Okay. It has sand. And what do we do with the sand at the beach? Play with it. What do we do with it? Sand castles. Right now, how detailed do you go into the sand castle making? Not really detailed. Pretty detailed. Okay. So what is your what's your detailed work look like? Windows with sticks, okay, all right. Do you decorate with shells and stuff like that? All right, well, yours is not detailed. It just has shells around it, okay. Now, do you dig? One of the key features that I put on my sandcastles is I like to dig a moat around it. Yeah, do you do that? Why is that important? It doesn't just look cool, right? I mean, it looks cool, but what does it do? When the water rushes in, it takes a little longer for the, the big parts of the castle to get knocked down, right? Now, do you learn that on the first time you make a sandcastle? It takes a while to figure that out, right? <clears throat> and so, also, one of the things that when you go to build your sandcastle, do you, do you build it, like, super, super close to the water? No. Where do you build it? Pretty far back, right? So, why? Because you want it to last a while, right? So the scripture that I'm going to read today has nothing to do with sandcastles, but it has to do with this. It, Jesus says there's always going to be a flood of things that come that are going to be like bad things. Like right now, I know you, you probably don't like to watch the news, do you? No. But if you were to watch the news, you would see some bad stuff that happens around the world, right? And Jesus will say to his disciples and said to his disciples, you're going to see some bad things happen. But don't let that frighten you, because there's if through once you come through those bad things, you'll have your life. Like the bad things that happen in life are bad, and we don't want them to happen to us. We don't want to be flooded. We don't want to to see war on earth. We don't want to see people that are 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 impoverished and they don't have a place to live. But once once those bad things kind of happen, the after effects usually are pretty pretty good. And so he said that the week before he died. So he was kind of preparing them like, hey, something bad might happen this week, but if you wait long enough, what's the good news that happens at the end of the week? What happened after Jesus died? Why do we come? He rose again, right? That's why we come to church on Sundays, because he rose on the first day of the week, which for the Jewish people was a Sunday. So he rose on that new, that new day, and that's why we come to church on Sundays. And it's a good thing. And so ever since Jesus has risen from the dead, we have a new way to look at the world. And so although there will be times where we may get a bad grade on a test, but guess what? After you're grounded and you don't get to play with toys and stuff, you'll study more. And then guess what happens the next time you take a test? You get a better grade, and then you get to play again, right? Okay, so we're going to pray, and we're going to thank God um, that he delivers us through times of trouble. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, you rock, and we love you. And we're so glad that you promise us, even when things are bad, something good will be on the other side. Please help us keep this in mind 
as we focus our lives on you. We love you. Amen. Okay, go get some change, kiddos. Thank you, ladies. I invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. Uh, We're going to start in verse 5 and read through verse 19. Listen to God's holy word. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, The days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, Do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. And then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify, to make up your minds now to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of His holy word. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we do thank You for Your holy text, and we thank You, God, for the promises that You give us. Lord, as this text this day may not look much of a promise we pray, God, that your spirit be with us and open our eyes that we may see your story. We say these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. As I said with the kids, I, I really do enjoy building sandcastles. I enjoy watching my children uh, build sandcastles. And I, I spend a great deal of time 
uh, trying to figure this out. Like I like to have tunnels and sandcastles, and I like to have that moat. That moat is, I think, keenly important. And what comes along with that moat that I didn't understand as a child is that when you dig that moat, it also creates something kind of like a levee, right? And a levee is really important. Levee, levees, levee. See, I said it right, and then I said it wrong, and I'm going to say it right again. Levees typically always are really next to rivers, not next to oceans, right? But they're a buildup of earth that is, is there to kind of prevent water from coming into something more important. And so as you dig that moat out in the sand, you kind of also create a levee, especially if you bring that stuff and pile it up in front of your castle as well. So that moat is really important. It catches the water, spreads it around the sand castle, but then that levee also is important, is important as well. And I, I think it's really awesome to watch how long a sandcastle can last in the tide. Uh, the first few times you think you can defeat the tide, right? You th- I've got it. I figured it out. This is going to be great. And then it crashes your sandcastle and you question God's abundant love at that point in time because you thought you could do something and then it just it comes crashing down. After multiple attempts, sometimes you just stop building sandcastles. Maybe, maybe you start just digging holes instead. Maybe that's more fun is just to dig a hole in the sand. But I think building sandcastles is a really important but difficult life lesson we learn as a child. Those of us that are gifted with the ability to go to a beach and, and learn about tides and how sand uh, doesn't withstand water, it teaches us a lot about how water acts. But it's difficult because you see how powerful just a little bit of water can be to an entire system that you've created. This little city that you've made in your imagination is just destroyed. And your parents or your grandparents watch you do it. They know what's going to happen and they don't warn you about it, right? They don't say, what, you're, you're wasting time. Because all that, all that sand you're piling up is just going to get washed away. And then as you get really older, you recognize that at night, even if you did defeat the tide, when they bring in the machines to level the sand back out again, it's all gone anyway, right? So one way or another, your sandcastle is going to fall. And I think about that when I, when I think about what Jesus says today about how many, how many warnings of danger there will be before Jesus returns. Jesus was a teacher, and most of his teaching was done experientially, right? So if you are a disciple, think, just think for just a moment right now. Let's just pause. Let's think you were one of those Galilean disciples. You have, in theory, seen Jesus heal lepers. You've seen him feed multitudes of people with very little food. You've seen him raise the dead, perhaps, if you were with him when when he brought Lazarus forth. You've seen all these miraculous things happen, maybe or maybe not uh, been always to see see everything, but you've seen enough. And, and, And you've seen it, and you believe it, even if you've not seen everything, you've heard other people talk about it. And so in the, the construct of the first century, when you're walking into Jerusalem with Jesus, <clears throat> you've just experienced an entire city worshiping him, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Palm branches are laying on the ground for him to walk on. And, and that, that seems mesmerizing to me. 
But what do the disciples pick up on? Man, this is a cool building. Look how awesome this building is. Now what's strange to me about this is these these people were, I, I would assume, mostly Jewish. And so if they were, they've been to Jerusalem before. They would have to go there to make sacrifices. They would make an annual visit there at least once or twice through maybe the high holy days. They would be there for weeks, right? So why is it on this particular day that they kind of elbow each other and say, check out this building? Now, if I were Jesus, in my opinion, this is one of those come on man moments. Like, dude, you've seen me heal lepers and you're amazed at this building? You've seen me walk on water and you're looking at this building? Come on. Are you seriously? That's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, hey, one day, none of these stones will be standing on top of each other. There's going to be a time where this amazing building that you are all in awe of right now, it's not going to exist anymore. Now, this conversation happens at the beginning of what we now call Passion Week for Jesus. In many ways, historically, this text has been used uh, to, to talk about a prophecy. I would argue this is not really what Jesus is doing. I don't think this is a prophecy. Luke is writing this story in about the year 85. Uh, he's writing about essentially something that took place in either the year 30 to 33 with Jesus' life. And in all historical accounts, most of the people that are hearing this or reading this story, they're 15 years removed from that temple that Jesus is talking about having been torn down. Rome sacked Jerusalem in the early part of the 60s and destroyed uh, the temple in Jerusalem, except for what we call now the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, right? That's all that's left there. <clears throat> and there's some, there's some buttresses that are still there, but for the most part, that's all the temple that, that exists. And it's, it is awesome. I'm not going to lie. Like, it is really cool to see. It is, it is bone chilling when you walk there and you think of all of the biblical characters that have been at that temple, right? The fact that, that not just Jesus, but but anybody from, from the mid-6th century before the Common Era, all of the Jewish people, all of, our, all of our, our narratives that we have from the prophecies that took place after people returned from Babylon, how important this temple area was. So I don't think Jesus is saying this is a proof text about prophecy, that something's going to happen. Jesus is just, again using something that's there that's available for him to discuss, and he's saying there's, there's something more to this. I think you've probably heard me say this once or twice, but how exactly did the Romans treat the Jews? Not real well, right? And so there were always times, there were always kind of like pulses of, do you think we can beat the Romans this year? In fact, this passion narrative that we've come to understand is really most of the people that put those branches down on the ground thought that Jesus was actually going to be the person that would lead them to defeat the Roman Empire. We, we talked last week about the Maccabean revolt that kind of won them independence for a hundred years or so before the Romans moved into town. And ever since then, they've really kind of sought to go back to that Hasmonean dynasty that they had for just that little bit of time. 
The destruction of the temple came at the end of a four-year war with Rome, something that was bound to happen. Uh, When you have oppressed people, uh, you know that oppressed people have a tendency to rise up and do something about that. Heck, every year on the 4th of July, we celebrate patriotism. How do you think the British government to this day feels about what we did on July 4th, 1776? Right? We were all terrorists when that took place. We were oppressed people that rose up and defeated a government. That's just what oppressed people historically have have a tendency to do. And the Romans did that in the 60s uh, with the Jewish people. The Jews fought back. They won a little bit and then ultimately were defeated. The year 69 was a year where the Roman military pressure came in from the north and just ultimately destroyed almost everything. It was very apocalyptic. I'm going to read you something um, from a historian known as Josephus. He said they destroyed everything they could destroy. Blood ran in the streets. In other words, their levy broke. What they, what they had hoped would happen, all of the defenses that they thought they had, they broke. He said this, The roar of the flames streaming far and wide mingled with the groans of the falling victims. One would have thought that the whole city was ablaze. With the cries on the hill, they were blended those with the multitude in the city below. And now many who were emaciated and tongue-tied from starvation when they beheld the sanctuary on fire gathered strength once more for lamentations and wailing. Yet more awful than the uproar were the sufferings. The destruction of the temple was utterly devastating for the people of Israel. All of their traditions, all of their identity, all of their customs were tied to the temple. And we know historically that through the destruction of the temple, a group of people that we hear about in the New Testament, known as the Sadducees, ceased to exist after that. They were the temple leadership. They kind of went by the wayside. It, It gave birth to the rise of what we now know as rabbinical Judaism. And it was synagogue-based. In fact, you heard that word synagogue written in Jesus' words. I'm not convinced he would have used that word necessarily. There were synagogues before the destruction of the temple, but really their popularity grew after the temple was gone. They had to say, where are we going to meet? How are we going to decide things? We don't have the temple. Where will we make sacrifices? Blah, blah, blah. All of these things that they had done for thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years, are gone. After the destruction, something happens. Now, my translation, our translation, I think, doesn't always do this well. That last bit that I read there, the word in Greek is psyche. And really, what that kind of means, well, it's translated exactly how it's written. Through Through the destruction, you gain your soul. That theology hadn't really entered into Christianity yet. We really hadn't learned much about soul at the, at the time that this was written. And so all scholars kind of believe that really what Jesus was saying is through destruction, once you come through destruction, you gain your life. Hang in there. Trust in God. Have endurance. The text really doesn't have to do with the prediction of the future. Really, it's an interpretation of something that's fatally flawed. 
Luke was not written really for any of us in the 21st century. I hate to break your hearts. It was not written for us. It was written for people who were struggling with the identity of being a Christian or a Jew, a Jew who is a follower of Christ, someone that is tied to the life of Christ so much that you can't understand how when he said this temple will fall and now it's fallen, that he's then going to come back, yet he's not here. He hasn't done that yet. Fifteen years they've been waiting for Jesus to return after the destruction of the temple. So if that was a prophecy, we think we've been, you know, waiting a while, right? I can't imagine, like, the life of my youngest child, right, waiting essentially for for a promise that's been made for for something to happen. Like, it's, it's kind of out of my mind now. Like, I think Jesus is coming back, but, I mean, clearly... In Jesus' own time. I've had 2,000 years to, to wait, right? But in that moment, the people that might have actually been alive to see Jesus die, and then to think back on this text, there will be a day when none of these stones remain standing. There, I think their impulse level was pretty high. They were, they were itchy. They were scared. They were, they were afraid. And so Luke reminds us, Just listen for Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Model your life after Jesus. He did raise from the dead after all. So if that's accurate, then there must be something good coming. Now does that mean that we have nothing to learn from this in the 21st century? No, I don't think so. It's not just a history lesson today. In fact, I think one of the things that we can glean is that Christianity claims that through persistence of faith, even in times of trouble, we can gain a new life. If you looked at the title of my sermon and you've ever listened to the radio, you probably recognize it's the title of my, one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs, When the Levee Breaks. Now, as a child, I thought that was a Led Zeppelin original. As an adult, I learned, no, it's not. It's an old African-American tune that was written in 1929 about the floods of 1927 in Mississippi. And if you know anything about what took place in the floods of 1927 in Mississippi, you know this, that many of the levees in Mississippi and in Louisiana, they broke. The, the, the flood was just, I mean, absolutely devastating. At, at, at times it was 30 feet above flood stage in places as far as Arkansas. It devastated the southern part of the United States, which then had effects on the rest of uh, the United States because that was a major shipping area. That's how we got things from other places. We, we used the, the waterway system. But one levy in particular was actually holding up pretty well. It was a levy that protected a large population of African Americans. But a bunch of people said, you know, if we blow this levee, we might be able to save New Orleans. And so without any warning whatsoever, they blew the levee. 635 African Americans died almost instantaneously. Others ran for their lives. And many of them recognized that what happened in the area where they lived was no longer going to be able to be a place that they could call home. 
You have what's known as the Great Migration of African Americans that moved into the northern cities to escape whatever they could to save their lives and to carry on. And so this song talks a great deal about when the levee breaks, mama, you have to run. Now, when you think about the truth behind that song, the song becomes really difficult to listen to. I think it's a song of lament. That mean old levee taught us to weep and moan. And perhaps the most deeply theological and extremely pragmatic lyric, crying won't help you, praying won't do you no good. Because when the levee breaks, mama, you got to go. I think the only prayer that works there is, Lord, have mercy on my soul and please teach me to swim. That's the only prayer that you can come up with. It's tough to hear history like that. But it's our history, folks. That's what happened in our country. We have to pay attention to it. It's tough also to know that levees still break in the 21st century, don't they? And literal levees breaking also maybe away from us. It doesn't really affect us apart maybe from our emotions. But every day of our lives, we perhaps will face a levee breaking. We'll have tumult in our own life. We'll have loss. We'll have disappointment. There are all kinds of things for us to look and say, my goodness, this is crushing to me. I can't overcome this. African-Americans had to move in order to survive. And in many ways, I think the message to the church is the same. We have to keep moving, not literally moving, but we have to constantly be seeking to provide something as a source of newness of life. The call to worship this morning that Adam read for us from the Psalms. Sing to the Lord a new song. You think that's going to be happy? Go back later today and reread that psalm. Sing to the Lord a new song. There's a whole lot of death that leads to that. <laughs> read Malachi again. Malachi is not a fun, happy book to read. Malachi says there will be promises of a newness of family and a newness of life, but look at all the destruction that comes with that. When levees break in your life, we have two choices. We can let that crush us and be defeated. Recoil into solitude. Or we can listen to Christ. Giving us a speech to a people who are in awe at some created thing that is the bulwark of their faith, the foundation of their establishment of people. This is how life happens. Until it can't. Until tragedy strikes and you wonder how you'll go on. The newness of life that is hidden in Jesus' teaching is that because of His destruction, we all have a newness of life that affords us the ability to make it through tough and challenging times. I'm not at all trying to belittle when we experience bad things. That's not what I'm trying to say. But as a Christian, it's important for us to know that being a Christian does not prevent bad things from happening to us. 
We can choose to focus on those bad things and those bad things can be our end. Or we can say, what's next? God, what's next? What will you do with us next? Let's be a people who are constantly praying, Lord, send us what's next. What do we have to do for you next? Where is the next levy that will be broken? Lead us, Lord, to new life. When our levy breaks, we too have to run. Won't you run with me? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let us stand and declare what the Lord has taught us in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It's now time for us to continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings. You may be seated. Let's pray. 
Holy and gracious God, we thank you for the many gifts and blessings that you've given us in this life. God, as we return a portion of these gifts to you now, we ask for your wisdom and your courage to use them in a manner which you see fitting. We say all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. May be seated. As we come to our time of prayer together, let us bind our hearts and minds together as we lift our petitions to our Lord and to our King. Let us pray. Holy God, we come to you this day in awe of your majesty. Lord, our evidence of your existence is to look into nature, see the wonders of the skies. We thank you, Lord, for the changing of the seasons. We thank you, Lord, for the witness of your power and majesty, the creation of mountains, valleys, and deserts, gullies, and canyons. We thank you also, Lord, that you had the forethought to create us in your image so that each day as we face other humans, we can see into your eyes. Forgive us, Lord, where we have fallen short of your glory and not treated others as we treat ourselves. Forgive us, God, when we selfishly choose our own ambition. Forgive us, Lord, when we have our eyes drawn to things created by human hands without recognizing the importance of humanity. God, we're thankful that in this country we have the freedom to come together and worship. We pray, Lord, for all the houses of worship who gather this day. We pray, Lord, that you would add to their number daily those who are being saved. We pray, Lord, for our sister churches around the globe who do not have the same freedoms that we have in this country. We pray, Lord, for the Christians who gather in fear of persecution, suffering, imprisonment, or even death. We pray, Lord, for the silent church of the Horn of Africa, the churches in China, Vietnam, Laos. We pray, Lord, for their safety. And we pray, God, that as we don't know them by name, we recognize them as one of our own. We pray, God, for the end of war on earth. We pray, Lord, that your peace may reign. We're thankful, Lord, especially this weekend, of those who have historically fought to keep our country free, those whom we name as veteran. We're thankful, Lord, for their sacrifices. We pray, Lord, for those who are currently in our military. We pray for their safety. We pray, Lord, for their safe return home. We thank you, Lord, for the call that you extended to each of them to serve our country. And at the same time, God, we, we don't always understand this, but we know that you ask us to pray also for our enemies. And so we do. We pray, Lord, for the end of conflict in Ukraine. We pray, Lord, that the Russian leadership will recognize this is impossible for them to win and withdraw. We pray, God, for the people of Ukraine as they attempt to rebuild their country. We pray, God, for peace. We pray, God, for our president. We pray for elected leaders we elected this past week. We pray, God, as they lead and guide us, they will listen to your still small voice. We're thankful, Lord, for 
those in leadership over us, and we pray, God, that they will learn how to serve you. Because we are a community of faith, we pray for those who are seated to our right and to our left, in front of us and behind us. And in the stillness of this moment, Lord, we pray for ourselves. Holy God, as we experiencing breaking levees in our lives each day, we pray, Lord, for comfort and safety. We pray for those who experience tragedy, that you will be their God and that they will be your people. Open our eyes that we may see tragedies around us, that we can be people who are helpers. Lead us to be helpers. Lead us to be those who can provide a shoulder to cry upon. We know, Lord, that you sent your son to earth, that he showed us how to do these things, that his life was a reflection of what we are called to do in our own lives. We're thankful, Lord, that he taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand as you are able for our closing hymn, hymn number 450, Be Thou My Vision.
was watching uh, an episode of World War II in color this week, and it was kind of weird. Uh, the episode that I watched was about when Nazi Germany, uh, in an attempt to thwart the American and British invasion of Anzio, blew up all of the uh, pump stations that kept the water from flooding uh, into this marshland. And it was really one of those weird things that the Romans had done uh, thousands of years ago as a gift to the peasants. Um, and so when uh, Mussolini came to power, he wanted to be like the Roman Caesars. And so he did the exact same thing, and he created these amazing pumps. And the impoverished people moved in, and uh, they were able to farm it. And it was doing quite well. But the Germans say, well, that's not our land. We don't care. It's not our people. We don't care. We're just trying to defend a military post. And so they blew them up. They flooded it, <clears throat> created an outbreak of malaria, uh, created headache for both the British and American armies. I add that to the conversation I had with my one of my best friends who lived in New Orleans for a long, long time. And I got to go into New Orleans after Katrina. Any of you that have ever been to New Orleans post-Katrina, you know that there is a line painted uh, in the middle of town where the water got. This is how high the water got. Everything below this water, below this line, was underwater for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. Now, I add those two stories at the end of the sermon to say this. Guess what happens if you go to Anzio today? Or guess what happens if you go to New Orleans today? You don't focus on what happened in 1943. You don't focus on what happened in 2005. You focus on the fact that those people came together after a tragedy and built back better. And that's not a political statement. They just did. <laughs> that's just what happened. They created a system where they said, we're not going to let this tragedy define us. Christianity did the exact same thing. We're not going to let the tragedy of Jesus' death and betrayal define us. What we will let define us is His resurrection. Folks, my challenge to us this day and every day is that we seek resurrection aspects of our life. If we are always focused on the bad, all we'll ever see is bad. But if we focus on the places where God is calling us to be people who provide a newness of life, we'll actually start to be Christian. Let us do that. Let us be the church that does that. Amen? Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May He be with us all until we meet again, either here or His glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday.